Hi, this is Sarah here at Women and Children First, located at 5233 North Clark Street. Um, happy holidays from all of, all of us at your local feminist bookstore. Hey there, this is Adam over at Woolly Mammoth, 1513 West Foster Avenue. Just want you all to know that we got you covered for the naughty list this year. We're selling coal and Krampus, so come on by. Happy holidays from visionary eye care professionals. Come visit us at 5222 North Clark Street. Where it smells like Christmas. Hi, this is Mike Bransford from Vincent Restaurant. We're wishing you happy holidays. Happy holidays from Toys Etc. Hi, I'm Teresa Maria, a resident of Andersonville since 1980. Wishing you all a very Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, Happy New Year. Happy Holidays from Strange Cargo. We're located right across from the Swedish Museum on Clark. And we've got all your holiday needs from bendable Jesus action figures to custom t-shirts. Thank you. Hey, this is Charlie at Sojourn Health. Just wanted to wish you a very happy holidays and remember to shop local this holiday season. Hi, this is Brian from Rare Birds Music, located inside Transistor at 5224 North Clark Street in Andersonville. Season's greetings. Welcome to Always Andersonville, the podcast. I'm Laura. I'm Sarah. Today, we are joined by Alderman Patrick O'Connor. Elected in 1983, Alderman O'Connor has represented the residents of the north side of Chicago since the age of 28. As a lifelong Chicagoan, he has worked tirelessly over the years to serve the community and better the lives of his constituents. On the 40th Ward website, it reads, there's no more local government than an aldermanic public servant. You are in and among your constituents. You live there, you grew up there, you see the people you serve every day, and you feel honored to do your best for everyone. And with that, welcome Alderman O'Connor. Thank you for joining us today. Thanks very much for having me here. Yeah, it's great to have you here. So we always love to start these conversations hearing about uh, your background and just really kind of the story of your life. So tell us about growing up in Chicago and um, your path to becoming an elected official. Had you always thought you might run for office someday? Um, I I grew up in a family um, that we had a lot of people in public service or in service. Uh, I had an aunt that was a missionary in Africa for all of her adult life. My father worked... uh, in the city of Chicago, for the city of Chicago, for most of the time that we were children at living at home, um, but not in an elected capacity. Um, I, I always wanted to go to law school. I always wanted to be an attorney. I wasn't quite sure that I always wanted to be an elected official, but um, but once I got into into the arena, it uh, it became apparent to me that if you really enjoyed going to work and seeing the results of your work on a fairly regular basis, the closer you were to to a constituency, the better off you are. It, it, it's I you know I, I you know it's, Congress is probably a great place to be an elected official, but very rarely can they come home and point to something that they've really you know built or or done, and and we get to do that every day. Well, having lived in Chicago all of your life, what made you want to serve the north side neighborhoods of Chicago? And what about them do you think makes the north side unique? Well, when I first started in the city, the north side was, um, we were looked upon a little bit poorly because uh, most of government was from the south side and the southwest side. And so if you were a Cub fan, you were definitely in the minority Mm -hmm. in City Hall. Um, But we always used to try and tell them that, you know, the north side is... um, 
I, we used to kid, even the mayor, that every time one of their children grew up, they always ended up living on the north side, which used to drive them always crazy because um, the north side was where all the action was. The north side is where the, the development was. The north side was where you had the best restaurants, the nicest places to go. Well, at least that was my feeling. But, you know, growing up in the neighborhood, you know, when, when you're, you know, when you're, you know, five and 10 and 15, you're not really thinking about where you live so much as it, it's where you live and it's what you know. And so when I, when I decided to run for public office, you know, I, I couldn't think of a better place to be than the place that I've known all my life. I am, I'm raised locally. I went to school locally and, uh, you know, my wife and I were, you know, in grammar school together. So, you know, it's, it's a pretty local group. Well, in what ways have you seen Andersonville and the other neighborhoods surrounding it change since you began serving as alderman? The changes are profound. When when I first started representing Andersonville, we had a methadone clinic on Clark Street. Um, we had, um, n- n- you wouldn't recognize the business population if you look today to what it was then. There are still some that have persevered through all the years uh, because Andersonville businesses you know they have a they they try and stick it out but there 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 was a, a lot of rough patches in the area at the time um you know we we stopped having a carnival at St Gregory's because of the things that were happening as a result of the carnival um so there there was all sorts of kind of concerns that went on but um a lot of the neighborhood organizations and the chamber has always been very helpful in trying to navigate uh problems and um We've gone from an area that was, you know, somewhat on a cusp uh, to an area that, if you look at Redfin, we're one of the top ten places in the in the country to live. Um, and if you if you look at what goes on in Andersonville, uh, our housing stock is great. Our schools are doing well, and uh, and we have a thriving business community. So it's really, you know, hit its stride. Our, our biggest issue, I think, now is trying to control the cost of being here so that you can continue to be here. My guess is over the years, you've seen people leave the city um, or move to the suburbs and you've stayed. You say, said you met your wife in grammar school. You've raised your family here. Um, and now, you know, people are moving back into the city. And what has that experience been like for you as an elected official to kind of just see how the neighborhoods have evolved and how they have become um more, I guess, attractive to not only stay and raise your family, but maybe retire in these neighborhoods and um, age in place and, and really live here your whole life? Well, uh, so if you start with my family, um, I have five siblings, three of whom all live within about four blocks of my house. And my mom, until she passed away this last summer, we all lived within a, like a half mile. My five children all live within the same half mile. And so we're very, very focused on the idea that a neighborhood is not just a place that you live, it's a place that you make livable. And so we all try and, you know, be part of it every day. Um, I I will tell you that um, one of my favorite days ever was shortly after we opened up Northside College Prep, I got a call from an individual who actually lived in the New Trier School District but they wanted to know, could their child take the test for Northside? And if so, 
then they would be moving into the city. And I thought, boy, we've really turned a corner when you have people from one of the best school districts in the city, or I mean in the state, trying to test into a school in our neighborhood and a Chicago public school and looking to move in to have a better chance at a good education than where they were, where they're currently living. So you began to see that 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 started to turn for people. And and I, I think that the younger demographic in this area is a very positive thing, but it's more positive because you still have a fairly good right. um, long-term uh, population that have lived here a long time. So you're getting a good mix. It's not like it's like it's like been a tidal wave. And I think that that's important to, to have people that have a sense of where the neighborhood has been and then folks that have moved in because it is it is where it's at. And and, and I, I always like to look at, at what goes on in, in the neighborhood groups. You see, when you go to a meeting, you'll get folks that have been coming for, you know, 30 years to the same meetings, and then you'll have folks that have just moved into the neighborhood a couple months ago and it's it's always interesting to see the perspective that they bring. I really like that quote that you don't, don't only just live there, but you make it livable. And in your role, you um, have advocated for small business owners for so many years. And small businesses really um, make our community so unique and so special. We have nearly 300 of them here in Andersonville alone. In your opinion, what makes businesses like these so important for our communities to thrive? Well, first, I'd like to start by saying that the Chamber has been a great advocate. Your, you and your predecessors have helped sensitize both myself and the aldermen that have been in the 48th Ward, and more importantly, the people who work for the city downtown on the importance of maintaining um, business strips like Clark Street. Um, you know, you don't want to walk in this neighborhood and think that you could be in any major city in the country because you'd have all the usual suspects, all the same stores, all the same same stuff. If you close your eyes, you could wake up, you could be in Cleveland. And, and I think that the idea that you work to try and maintain what we have here is really a laudable goal. And you know we've we've had fits and starts trying to you know pass ordinances that prevented stores from coming in to basically you know working with landlords to try and encourage them to work with you and the chamber and, and the planning department even to find companies or businesses that would have the same value of an independent um, uh, entrepreneur um, and make sure that that we try and encourage that as much as possible it it is the hallmark I think of our business trip. You touched on this a little bit um, about education, but for over 20 years, you served as the chair of the Committee on Education and Child Development, and you were instrumental in bringing Northside College Prep to Chicago's Northwest Side and secured additions, new playgrounds, and infrastructure improvements for every school in the 40th Ward. In your opinion, how have Chicago schools evolved over the years, and what does the future hold? Well, I, I think if you take the timeline that, that I've been in government, at one point in time, you wouldn't believe the Lord's Prayer if it was coming from anybody at the Chicago Public Schools um, because our, our performance was terrible, our, our attempt to deliver was half-hearted, and, and basically the system was, um, it was second tier. Um, and, and so what the system did, um, you know, probably in the 70s, 
early 80s, you know, before I, I was involved in government, but they, they started building a first tier so that, so that people that were capable of navigating schools could find the right school. It would be a, a magnet school or a selective enrollment. But the, the neighborhoods were by and large being left out and it was so it was a kind of becoming a two-tier system. Um, what we've tried to do is is continue to have options for people who otherwise would be going to a to a higher performing school or a, a tuition-based school, but but really emphasize the need for the local schools to be not only a viable option but a first option for most people. Um, and I think that we're getting to that point now. Certainly in our community, we're very fortunate, both Harry on the 48th Ward side on the east side of Clark and myself on the west side of Clark, that our local schools really have become a school not just of, um, of, of where you lived, but really a school of choice. Um, and I've always felt that the role of local government was to ensure that we provide them with the working space, so the so the environment that to make it livable and workable, and learn and a learning environment. So that's why I emphasize a lot of capital improvements in the schools. Um, but Northside was the first um, high school that was built in like twenty some years in the city of Chicago when it was built, and um, and and we we needed to create an option for folks that in fifth and sixth grade for the when people when their kids got to fifth and sixth grade those parents were looking to move to take them to a school district that would be a better performing high school option and so we began to try and uh, work with the board of ed and and mayor daly's office at the time to say that we needed to create this type of a school as an option and um and and the original plan frankly was to have one of these schools in each of the six districts that existed in the city and have them be be the school of uh that that they could go to within the district and then that plan kind of evolved to what you have today which is selective enrollment in a variety of places but not strategically placed as we originally thought my focus has also been to enrich the opportunities at the local high schools. So Mather High School is where I graduated from. And, um, you know, I, I, I had a great opportunity to, to get a decent education there. Uh, I got into Loyola University afterwards. And, um, and so, you, you know, it, 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 when I was there, it was, it was high-performing. It's now getting back to being a high-performing high school. Amundsen High School, its enrollment is going up, up, up. The principal there is a dynamo. Um, and, 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 and those schools now, we've provided money and they're providing leadership, which I think is the combination of what the school should be doing and what local government should be doing. Yeah, we had Harry on the podcast a, a little bit ago, and he talked about some of the specifics at SEND. So it's great to hear you talk about Amundsen and Mather as well and all the work that's been done at our local high schools. Um, and you are currently now the chair of the Workforce Development Committee. And in that role, you focus on creating a more efficient and cost-effective city government. This is maybe my favorite question. In your words, what is the role of local government? And if you could sum up the job of an alderman, what would you say? Well, let's take the last part of your question first. I think the, a local alderman's job really is devised, able to be divided into two parts. You are the steward of city services for your community. 
and you need to ensure that you're not only getting your fair share, which is always an important part, but you're getting what's needed to maintain a quality of life that is acceptable and achievable for your community. Um, and then the second role is to really help inform and pass on public policy that relates to the entire city. So the committee that I chair is Workforce Development, and its focus is not just the city workforce, which a lot of people make the mistake that they think, well, it's just dealing with uh, organized labor and the contracts that we have with organized labor as a city. Um, and that's certainly a part of it. And we, in fact, just this morning, we just passed a collective bargaining agreement with a Teamsters local. But there are more important things and obviously things that affect the entire city's workforce when we do things like um, putting the minimum wage up. And we do that just not just for the city, um, um, people that, that contract with the city, but throughout the city that the minimum wage has gone up. We passed an ordinance for um, earned sick time for folks that allow them to acquire time so that if they become ill, if they've acquired time, they can take it and not have any job repercussions. Um, importantly, we, to, to, try to try and make that work, we, we actually uh, created a, uh, an office for fair, uh, for fair labor standards uh, in this last budget so that when people are not abiding by these rules and laws that we put in place, they have a place to go that the city can actually investigate and, and make determinations and correct injustices that take place. Over the course of the last four years, um, the state has, has done less and less of this type of stuff for working people in the city of Chicago and, frankly, working people in the state. And so this office, we think, will be very important uh, for folks in our community. You also helped build the West Ridge Nature Preserve, a 20-acre park that includes woods, wetlands, walking paths, and a 4.5-acre pond. Tell us a little bit more about this project and why is this project so important for the community? Well, I think first and foremost, anytime you can put 20 acres of virgin land um, and put it in a position where it's never going to change in terms of it's not never going to be developed it's always going to be available um you know you've got a great lake in included in that park we stock it with fish people can bring their kids in and 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 catch little bluegills and sunfish and stuff and and um, you know it i have a soft spot for the location because when i was a kid i i grew up like a block west of the cemetery and my brothers and i and and our friends we used to go in there and, and, and play by that lake when we were kids all the time. And, uh, you know, whether we were walking through the front gate or taking the dangerous step of climbing the front or the, the fence, um, we, that was a place where we, we really, you know, we, we grew up utilizing that space. You know, that's where we played Davy Crockett and Army and all the rest of it. We used to pitch tents and camp and things. You know, it was it was a place that... Um, you know, we never got to the woods. We never got to the, you know, forests, but that was our woods and our forest. So um, when it became apparent that, that the cemetery was trying to sell off that property, um, we started trying to think about ways to get it done. In fact, uh, kind of a uh, happenstance, the first money for that park 
was an earmark from then Congressman Rahm Emanuel. Um, so um, when Rahm became congressman, we were, we, we were talking to him about this project, and, and, and then Congress could do earmarks, and he set aside some money out of a transportation bill to uh, help us do the acquisition. And um, the park district's been great. We've improved it a number of times. We just actually passed a, an ordinance um, that will pass the full council now, but we passed it in committee to get some more money to do a kind of a natural playground. Uh, so it won't look like your traditional playground, but it'll look like a playground that maybe cavemen might have had, you know, when 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 people were 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 living more off the land. And um, it, it's it's a great place for people to go. I I encourage everybody in the neighborhood to at least walk through it once, because the wildlife is incredible. You've got, you know, you got deer with full racks of of horn. You've got uh, fox and uh, some coyote too. You gotta, you gotta be careful. You know, gotta keep an eye on everything when you're going in there. But there's, there's great wildlife there. And it's kind of magical because when you stand in there, you also you can't hear Peterson or Western. You can kind, kind of see them sometimes. But I mean, you really just feel like you have been put someplace totally out of the city for that moment in time when you're in the midst of it and. I think that's just really, really no, special. Can, can I tell you, uh, it's kind of a, I think it's a cute story. The day we were cutting the ribbon for the park, um, the mayor was there and the head of the park district and the head of our Department of Transportation, and we were walking through the paths, and there were two really big birds of prey that were flying overhead, and uh, and the mayor asked, did we bring them in for, <laughs> for this, like we had imported wildlife to, to 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 create the atmosphere in the park. They were on cue. Yeah, it was it was, but it was hysterical because you know most people don't see that in the city, and and there you were, you're walking through, and as you say, it was it was like it was like you were somewhere else. Yeah, I remember once I was driving on Broadway and I, a deer crossed the road, and I was like, "Where am I?" <laughs> and they probably came from the came from Westridge Preserve. Well, we often ask uh, business owners on this podcast what it was like for them when they opened a business and jumped into entrepreneurship. And um, we're curious, what was your experience like becoming an alderman at a young age? And what would you pass on to young people today that are exploring running for office? Um, when I ran, um, it was it was a, I I was involved in trying to support then state's attorney Daly's um, race for, for mayor. And um, our, our neighborhood, my friends and I, and a number of people that lived in the community were interested in, in seeing that change at the city level. And, um, and, and we thought, well, we'll, we'll put somebody in for an aldermanic candidate um, just to kind of tie down the local, um, ward organization so that they couldn't just focus on the mayor's race. And I was one of the few guys um, in the group that, you know, I, I, I don't want to say I was more respectable than the rest, but among I, my friends, I was married. I, ha I, was, I had a law license. Um, I was expecting my first child. And so they thought, well, that at least you could, with a straight face, say I, I could be your alderman. So when I ran, um, then I ended up winning. Um, and um, I actually, I won, uh, there were three candidates, myself and the, and the incumbent and a Lyndon LaRouche uh, candidate. Um, and, and, and so I got into a runoff 
and then one in the runoff and uh it's it's you know it's been it's been a great opportunity and a real honor for me ever since but what i would say to young people um and you know my my it's it's a little hypocritical for me to give this advice because i have five children all of whom i've said do not go into government um because i feel that it's becoming more and more uncivil and and harder and harder to do an, uh, a quality job because you're asked so often um, to take into account like how people, you know, it's like you put your finger to the wind and, and whatever's popular that day, that's the direction they want you to go if you're going to be a successful elected official. And I, I have a difficult time with that because having grown up in this neighborhood, you know, I really love where I live. And not every decision I make is going to be popular in the short term, but I like to think that if you have a long-term view, people would come around and say, you know, maybe maybe you were right there. But if I were advising young people, I would advise them to uh, use the modern technologies and use the Twitter and the Facebook and 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 use the Internet as a communicative tool, but not as a weapon. Use it as a way to let people know what you're doing and what you think they need for their lives to be better. But when you weaponize those technologies, you really take away their effectiveness. And you end up having what we have, frankly, at, at the state level during the last election cycle and at the at the federal level every day, is you have people that they don't address the issues that are going to help make your life better. They want to push you into a position so that you just support what is good for them. And so I would tell young people, master those technologies, but don't weaponize those technologies. It's really good advice. Well, we always end our podcasts asking this question. If you could choose one Andersonville business to run for a day, which one would you choose? Okay, so it's it's a little bit of a trick question for me because <laughs> if Huey's were still there, ah oh, yes, Huey's, we talk about that all the time. That's Good the business answer. I would. That's the business I would choose. Mm. I have always wanted to own a hot dog stand. <laughs> I've always said if I ever win the lottery, a good one, a big one, I'm I'm going to teach history and own a hot dog stand. <laughs> and so that if it were still there, that would be my place. That it's not there, I probably would want to own Replay because I love, like, video games, the old ones. Um, you know, having gone to Loyola, there were a lot of, like most colleges, there were a lot of bars around there. And it was kind of the heyday of some of the stand-up video games. You know, I'm scrap on the television ones where you got a little thing in your hand. But I used to be pretty good with the joystick and the buttons. So that would be my place. I wouldn't make any money, but I'd, I'd get better and better at those games. Well, at least we know where to find you at Clark and Balmoral, <laughs> whether it's video games or hot dogs. Yeah. Well, thank you, Alderman O'Connor, for joining us today. And thank you for listening to Always Andersonville, the podcast. For more information about the Alderman and the 40th Ward, please visit aldermanoconnor.com. You may also stop into their offices located at 5850 North Lincoln. Show notes on today's episode can be found at Andersonville. 
Always Andersonville, the podcast, is engineered and edited by Andy Miles in Studio C at Transistor, a gallery, shop, performance, recording, and teaching space located at 5224 North Clark Street. Have your own podcast idea? The studio is available to rent. Please call 872-208-5877 or stop by the store for details.